Design it, craft it, smith it, stitch it, tool it, and pick it. We do it all. This is Bespoke Lahoma. Musical intro by Allie Harder and Pig's Fly Shop out of Oklahoma City. We are back this week, finally. Well, I am. Melissa's not. Um, as always, we're sponsored by Traditions Leathercraft out of Oklahoma City. Um, I don't have any of his sales. It was a last-minute thing. Um, uh, I had to get some you know, free stuff from the in-laws, so I didn't get a chance to do all my homework, or, yeah, all of Melissa's homework before we started. But I was able to grab uh, upcoming classes up at Traditions. Saturday, October 28th, uh, Michael Parham will be doing a tooling and painting class up there. I think they're, he's going to work on flowers. Uh, mm. Don't have a price on that. And then on November 10th through the 12th, Jim Linnell will be back up at Traditions. And he will be doing a 3D spirit shield, which is going to be really cool. I saw the example he had when he was up here last. And uh, everything's going to be made of leather. Uh, if you look at the picture, I think Casey has posted it and Jim Linnell has posted it. Everything in the picture is made from leather. The stand is wooden, but it's covered in leather, which is it's just really awesome. So go check out check that out. Uh, you'll have to call Casey to reserve. Uh, the class fee for Jim's class is $235. So I do have a price on that. Okay, so a lot has happened. Since our last episode, went to K- Waco, or not Waco, Wichita Falls, food and saddle show with Casey. It was fun. Met a lot of people. Met tonight's guest in person. Um, got some signatures. Uh, bought some black crack, which is also called Robert Beard Tools. Um, I went into it only going to buy one, and then 350 bucks later, I came out. <laughs> Came back with uh, several. That's the way uh, she goes with Bob's yeah. stuff. <laughs> I, I actually this time only bought a Barry King mall, and that was it. I usually stock up on Barry Kings when I go there. So, <laughs> I, <clears throat> so tonight, our guest has one of the coolest last names. <laughs> like ha- hands down, just an awesome last name. Tonight, we have Owen Clark of Heron Leather. How's it going, Owen? It's going pretty good. I, I agree. You know, we, we, we share a pretty solid surname. <laughs> yeah, it, it's, you know, it's strong, powerful, you know, rolls off the tongue. Bets, yeah. Like, what's, Dustin, what's your middle name? James. Dustin James. See, I am also blessed and cursed with three first names. <laughs> do you do you get call I'm Owen Stewart Clark. Do you just do you respond to anything? Just James Clark, Dustin, anything anybody uh, says? Mainly it's uh a lot of people that only see me through my business, like business TikTok or business Instagram, they think my first name is Clark. Yeah. Because oh, yeah. my business is Clark Leather Creations. So right. they'll come up and call call me Clark and then Family, they call me Dusty, but m- the more de- majority of the time, it's either Dusty, Dustin, or asshole. Um, <laughs> so that, that's what I usually get called. Or, hey, you. Hey, you. And 
the, the hey you, I just keep walking because you don't know what you're going to turn around to. It could be bad news, yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> so how's it going, Owen? Oh, it's going pretty good. Just enjoying what uh, is potentially, I don't know how much hotter it's going to stay for, you know, the rest of this season. It's supposed to be fall, but I was enjoying how cool it is in the mornings, and I just wanted to go back to that. I really was suffering this summer, so. Hey, at least it's not back in the hundreds. Oh, yeah. No kidding. <laughs> like I, I, I don't think, I think I turned the AC off in my shop before we left for Wichita Falls, and it's been off the whole time, luckily. And I just, if it gets too warm, I open up the windows, and there's been a breeze every single day. So it's, uh, I'm loving it, too. It sucks that it's going back up to the 80s, but not forever. it could be a lot it's gonna be. It's going to be pretty swanky here. This door's open. I think you, you work out of your garage, right? No, uh, I actually, we bought a house last year, and it had a mother-in-law suite. And uh, I turned it into a shop all i all i have really left to do is the, to run the plumbing oh yeah and it's basically functional for the most part heck yeah i that is... to run into the house <laughs> <laughs> that is that is nice when you you know having that extra space it, there's a commercial space that i was sharing with a couple of buddies out in uh, nashville which is where i moved from on my when i came to oklahoma city so I think it was probably two-ish years ago. One guy is a custom furniture designer and a fabricator. And another guy who was, uh, he did merch for touring bands and engraving and a little bit of graphic design as well. And then I had my little leather shop underneath the little mezzanine section in this like 2,800 square foot bay door shared loft space. It was really cool to have all these different people all working together and get to bounce ideas off each other. Two pretty creative artistic fellas that are you know nice to be around as well so that was really cool and uh, that's awesome that was i'm looking to be able to move back into something like that in oklahoma city it looks like commercial space is a little bit easier to come by here than nashville by a long shot <laughs> so you've been here in oklahoma for about two years you said oh not even close i moved here in march and so oh we're still, okay Oh, we're brand new to the state, to the city, to the whole nine yards. So I'm still getting my feet underneath me as far as, you know, You're getting... still finding stuff that you packed to move. Oh, my God. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Things in the shop that I'm like, I know I have this. And then I have to go dig around and, and try to pull it out of some unmarked box that's just stashed away in a corner somewhere. But... <laughs> All right. So how long have you been doing leather work? Oh, so all, let's see, it's been this, the end of this year, at the very beginning of 2024, that'll mark six full years that I've been doing leather work uh, full-time, like as my sole income. Um, And then I've been doing it, uh, it's been probably a total of eight or nine years that I've been working on it, just total. I think it's 2018 is when I got started, my business got started, and then... um, it was two or three years prior to that that I got into leather work. Mm-hmm. And that all came about from a, a trip to a Tandy, as it seems to do for most people, <laughs> at least that aren't born into a leather working sort of deal. So uh, in Nashville, which is, like I said, that's where I was. I lived in Nashville for eight years. Um, and I think around the second year that I was in Nashville, I was 
I had a little more free time, I guess, and wound up going into a tandy not knowing anything about how leather work was done or mm-hmm. anything tangentially. I, I knew that I appreciated it. I grew up in Southwest Colorado on a horse ranch and was always interested in tooled leather and tack and just how it was all put together was a mystery to me. So walking into a tandy felt like, oh, this is how you make all that stuff, sort of. Like, at least this is all the materials <laughs> to make all that stuff. And um, I remember I bought, what did I buy first? A couple stamps, uh, a mallet, and um, they had on sale that great big F.O. Baird Leather Secrets book. You know which one I'm talking about? Oh, yeah, I got it. The monster that, like, you just can't find anywhere for under 100 bucks, or, you know, it's just mm-hmm. doesn't fit any place. Um, I bought that because it was half off and I got it for, I think, $60. And was just like, nice. I don't know what this is, but it looks like it has a lot of information on it. So, <laughs> and I was in, I just started making whatever. I think belts were the first thing I started making and then, uh, graduated to billfolds, but yeah, just poco a poco making stuff for friends of mine, for people who I work with, anybody who, and make all my own stuff too. And, I just wanted to figure out how to get as good as possible, as fast as possible. (laughs) (laughs) Well, I've noticed that there's been uh, like saying you wanted to get as good as possible, as fast as possible. There's been some people that I've seen like on TikTok or Instagram that like they picked it up during the pandemic. Oh, yeah. I don't know if it was just because they were at home and had extra time, but they went from like zero to a hundred in like a month. And a lot of them I'm sure had some kind of art background, but it was just like out of nowhere, there was just this boom of awesome leather workers. Yeah. I noticed the same. (laughs) And it's kind of petered out a little bit. I don't see very many posting anymore. I don't know if that's just, burnout or I don't know but uh yeah it's I I get that trying to get as good as you can as fast as you can yeah it was you know it's an interesting thing to kind of uh, weirdly didn't the Tandy in Nashville didn't strike me as a place to as a resource to kind of like take a bunch of workshops or really spend much time in under the tutelage of somebody else so what Mm -hmm. I wound up doing was trying to just seek as much, this is what I like to do. I'm, I'm kind of an analog guy as well as, you know, I, the Instagram's always gonna be there. There's always gonna be images of other people's technique and work and stuff like that. But I love books. Mm-hmm. Like I love to, to collect and have physical media that I can refer back to and stuff like that. So I tried to find as many books as I could on tooling specifically, um, and just started racking up as many books as I could find and trying to teach myself. I don't think it was, I didn't have a proper workshop where I knew what I was getting into. Like I knew what I wanted to learn from somebody else mm-hmm. until 2018, like until I really, I quit my job and did this full time. I was like, okay, let's take the first section of this year to go after as many workshops in person and try to try to get some hands-on um, learning Whereas I've just been reading books for two years prior. (laughs) (laughs) 
I'm, I'm kind of the opposite. I've got to kind of see how it's done a little bit. Like, oh, yeah. I, I struggled for the longest time because I was doing the same thing, just reading books and yeah. then it, you know, doing the candy kits and they only tell you so much. And right. Like, I look at, look, at, look back at some of the stuff I've done at the beginning. I'm like, oh my gosh. Oh, I wish yeah. I'd known a little bit more. <laughs> <laughs> I just recently had a buddy today reach out about a belt that I made him eight years ago that he's like, yeah, it's about on its last leg of snap busted off and it's pretty bowed up. So like, I'm ready to have a new one. And I was like, I cannot wait to see this belt that I made you eight years ago. <laughs> I'm sure it says something vulgar across the back of it. And I, I don't know, <laughs> the stamping is going to be really, really fun to like, just have this time capsule of what I was doing when I had really no idea. I mean, just sort of a stab in the dark of like, okay, let's do this. And yeah, it's fun. To, it was fun to look back on all that stuff. Was it one of your first belts? It has to be like, I was doing a series. This guy was a, he was a, a guy that I used to work with who was a tour manager for uh, a hardcore band, like a punk band called against me back way back in the day. And then he was a, in the restaurant business. We worked together at a restaurant um, back in Brooklyn he was my, um, like, basically my GM. And so he had a belt that he loved that just said, holy shit, across the back of it. And <laughs> so <laughs> when I started making belts, it was like a very select in-group of people that I would make holy shit belts for. And we're talking, you know, candy letter stamps, like no card letters. Like this was very Ooh. much your, uh, I don't state fair, you know, flea market belt that I was making for people and but you were very it was like a very you know you were in the sanctum sanctorum if you got a holy shit belt so he has one of the very first ones I made in that in that line I guess <laughs> you should and in uh, fact I had one the very first one that I'd made um uh I made for myself and I still had it when I took my first workshop which was the first time I'd been to Oklahoma City mm. and my first introduction to really to Oklahoma and so I was taking a workshop from uh, Troy West and Pedro Padrini from the PCAA on floral tooling. And it was the first belt I'd made for myself that was still holding up good. And I knew I had to make another one in a hurry before the class started because I could not show up to this very serious, you know, <laughs> museum level three day, like, you know, very intensive floral carving, like, uh, class with a holy shit belt on so I threw together a buck stitch belt <laughs> with flowers on it in like a day and a half I was like, oh my god I can't wear this in there <laughs> so if you so you basically do have one of the original holy shit belts I do I think I still do I don't know if I what has happened to it I think I may have loaned it out to somebody or you know bequeathed it most anything I make that I have for myself Usually when it gets worn down or it gets into any position where I have something newer, it either falls apart or I give it away to somebody that's just like, here, I have this thing. And they're like, oh, one of my first wallets, a couple of my first wallets, the ones that were functional, not the ones that were absolutely non-working. <laughs> Those got <laughs> given away as gifts. But yeah, yeah I think that one might have gone somewhere else. I, I kind of wish I had kept some of my first first pieces that I had done. Um, I mean, I still got pictures of some of them, right. but like the first couple, I would, I would still like to have be able to like point and be like, yep, 
that's how I started right there. And people look at it and be like, did you like make a design in bubble gun or something? Because I'm pretty <laughs> sure that it didn't look very well, very good at all. <laughs> yeah, no. Those those old pictures, when you go back through, most of them are in my phone. It's like, oh, yeah, these are these are the early days ones. But it's cool when the stuff you build lasts for as long as it does, and you see mm-hmm. it down the road. Occasionally, it's a little bit, you know, can be a little cringy, but otherwise, it's a great, you know, look at, this is where I was at that point. Like this is, this is what I could turn out. And, you know, I, I would say that in however many years, I guess eight years or so of, of practicing leather work mm-hmm. and having the full-time aspect really does kick you into high gear really quickly. Cause I, I think the accountability of that makes it so that you progress really fast oh, yeah. because you're not just making stuff that you're happy with, but you have to make stuff that's going to be able to turn a profit or, or somebody else is going to have to look at you got to exceed some expectations. But mm-hmm. I think um, once you get to that sort of like where I am now is I'm just now getting to a place where I was like, okay, that looks pretty good. Or I'll see something I made or uh, a piece. that's something that's mine and I'll see it from across the room and be like, that's not bad. Like that actually looks pretty good. And it's taken a long time to come to grips with that. Where it's like, okay, now I actually kind of like what I'm making. Just being constantly disappointed. <laughs> I, I, I think your tooling is like spot on. Looks really, really damn good. Well, thank you. I, I appreciate that. So, uh, how did you come up with Heron leather? Oh yeah. So, uh, Heron walk is essentially when I kick started, and it kind of did. You know, I. I built a couple of hat bands for a neighbor who was in graphic design that did me up a logo based on our chatting about what I wanted to do. And I had to pick a company name and I wasn't ready to just put my name on it because I was like, this isn't quite, you know, nobody knows who I am and it doesn't really matter. It's just a brand that needs to run alongside what is hopefully synonymous with quality down the road, but it should be just sort of something that exists. And Heron Walk was not a far area from where my house was at the time when I was, it was kind of the neighborhood I was in, in Nashville when I got started. So it was almost like picking a rabbit out of a hat and saying like, here is a very innocuous sort of ambiguous name <laughs> for a company that people <laughs> may remember. And that looks pretty good in a font on a, on a logo. And it's like, okay, done. Uh, Cause I didn't want to overthink it. And I didn't want to, you know, it's kind of like I have the same, uh, attitude about tattoos as well which is like it doesn't need to mean anything all it needs to mean is that you liked it and it was cool and right you're fine yeah <laughs> <laughs> so heron walk walk was a place it was a place right next to where and I, I had a i still have it up on my website which needs to be updated desperately but um yeah just sort of the idea that the area that i lived in was a ways outside of nashville in a little area called madison up a road near Heron Walk, which kind of turned into farmland. There's a some park, like a part of the, the Cumberland River was right down toward the end of our road where we were at. And so I was like, mm-hmm. oh, this is a nice little place where, you know, the city meets a little more pastoral area. And I was like, okay, Heron Walk should represent the idea of the intersection of classic rural, like things that are built with care and thought and also just in a modern way and be able to you you can use in all kinds of like more up 
town sort of fashionable ways. That's awesome. I like that. Well, see, that sounds a lot better than I just picked it out of a hat. But to be fair, they're both, <laughs> they're both, they both occupy the same reality. So what made you want to move down to Oklahoma? Okay, so Oklahoma has been a blind spot for me. Growing up in Colorado, I have a bunch of family in Texas. My mom's side of the family is all from Kansas. And so I had never really spent time here until I took that first workshop um, in 2018. And then subsequently, I've been back out for other exhibitions and stuff that are going on at Cowboy Museum. Mm. And in my first trip to Oklahoma City, I was like, this place is awesome. Like, there is a massive food community. There seems like there's a lot of the entire Asian district that has grocery stores that have a bunch of ingredients from Vietnam, Laos, like all the stuff that I like to cook at home. And it's cheap, cheap, boy. And that's, that's another one of the big things that moved me out of Nashville was just it's impossible to, uh, to be able to afford any kind of commercial space or really even buying a house is even more unattainable there. So hmm. kind of, we were looking around at, at sort of like areas that I thought would be a good intersection of being affordable, where there's a good supportive market for what I'm wanting to build. And also just a cool place to live. And I was like, I think Oklahoma City is it. It was between here and Tulsa. And Tulsa didn't really wow me. Yeah. <laughs> like Oklahoma City did. There. That's what I hear. I hear that the two don't get along. <laughs> and I, I get it. <laughs> <laughs> Texas, was, Texas was on the short list too. But I think that it's also going the same way as, uh, as Nashville is. As far as the places that are affordable are kind of don't. You know, they're not quite, I don't think they have the same sort of access as far as like what a city like Oklahoma City would provide. And I don't think that the cities there are really that tenable as far as being affordable. So, you know, Oklahoma is where we hung our hat. And so we're still, and like I said, we're still sort of navigating. I don't know a soul. Like we met down in Wichita Falls. (laughs) Yeah, we drove. from the shop. (laughs) Like. That's we drove three out. hours to hang out. Yeah. <laughs> I've got one other pal from Nashville who's an incredible country musician named Mallory Eagle. And uh, I get to see her play every once in a while. Oh, Flora, the Flora Knight, uh, the bootmaker up in Guthrie, I also am friends with. And uh, because she's an incredible fiddler and a an really extra incredible bootmaker. So we have listed the entirety of my, uh, my community here. So... <laughs> Awesome. Still just getting my feet underneath me, but so far so good. I do I do like it. The springtime was a little dicey. I will say the weather in the springtime certainly will keep you oh, paying so attention. This was, this was your first tornado season. See, it was. Oh, that, that's this was a mild one. <laughs> oh, good. Yeah, no, there's <laughs> they they get a lot worse. Just just wait until we get the snow tornadoes. Ah, well. Yeah. Where we were at, in the, where we're at in the village, we, you know, avoided any of the prairie fires that were blowing in from the west, mm. and most of the heavy stuff was landing further southeast, I guess, around Norman and stuff like that. So, you know, we felt like we got out pretty unscathed. No hail on us, the size of, of baseballs or anything like that. So, so you're up around, uh, kind of between Oklahoma City and Edmond, kind of. 
Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Like pretty close to Edmond, not not far at all. But oh yeah, hey, there's not very much stuff that happens up there. You're good. The all, all the rich, <laughs> all the rich folks did like a summoning deal, and they hardly ever did anything up there. <laughs> you're you're good up there. Managed to, managed to, yeah, do some sort of yeah <laughs> ceremony to keep themselves safe. Yeah, just stay away from El Reno, Norman, Southeast Oklahoma City, which is where I'm at, and more, and you'll and Bridge Creek, and you'll be good. Ah, okay, I see. <laughs> well, my one trip to El Reno, I had a I had a great time because um, I went to the I want to say the VFW Hall in El Reno. Maybe it was the American Legion Post. I can't remember which, but they on Saturdays they have a little bit of they got a local band that plays country music and a pretty good sized dance floor and very nice people. And so went out there to go, to go dancing. <laughs> that was pretty fun. I think a record scratched when I walked in the door with, uh, with my girlfriend, Kendall. And it was, it was there like, who are you? We have never <laughs> seen you before. Are you new to El Reno? Does anyone new come to El Reno? I was like, ah, no, just coming to visit. Just wanted to dance, but it was pretty but fun. It, <laughs> If you like a place to go and have drinks and listen to live music, there's you can dance. There's just not you'd have to dance on the sidewalk. But uh, core <laughs> four, core four in Oklahoma City, they do. Uh, they have great beer and they have open mic every Thursday night. Oh, cool! And uh, they're really cool people. Uh, one of the owners has been on the podcast. He actually has actually turned out to be a really good friend of mine and. I go nice. up there. Uh, I try to go up every other Thursday night. I'm gonna try to go this week, but we'll see. Um, <laughs> and uh, there, it's it's a really good there. There's you can dance. Yeah, not like you know a dancing dancing scene. That's fair, dudes. I mean, to be honest, there's not very many places that you know that's you know two step and Western swings. What I love more mm. than anything, and it's kind of one of those things that. You find it where you find it, and if there's a floor and it's not made of carpet, you just go ahead and dance on it. <laughs> well, it, it, there is Cowboys OK. I think it's is it called Cowboys now? Um, yeah, it's Cowboys OKC, and it's a uh, MacArthur or Meridian and I forty somewhere around there. But it's okay. It's always like it's a club. It's super right, packed. Yes. Yeah, that's the there's there's the rub finding that yeah. middle ground between someplace that's going to be, uh, you know, like, nothing against anybody who wants to go out line dancing, mm-hmm. but it's just not really for me. Right. <laughs> I'd rather it, hang in the El Reno VFW Hall. <laughs> they do have live bull riding Friday nights and Saturday nights though inside oh, the club. Nice. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Like live bull or mechanical bull? Live bulls. Get out of here. Yeah, okay. I, I, I rode there for like four or five years. Holy cow. Yeah, and it's a that's smaller worth, That's worth a trip. Yeah, it's a small arena inside the bar. And if you're <laughs> if you're with so everybody can it's elevated. So you walk up to this platform and the arena is right there. Like <laughs> oh my you're God. eye to eye with the ankle of a bull. And Holy if cow. you're within like 10 foot of that bar going all the way around it. Whenever they open the chutes and the bull comes out, you got to cover your beer. <laughs> Cause it's going to, because they'll, into your beer? yeah, they'll sling dirt everywhere. 
it's, so it's been a few years since I've been up there, but it's it's a it used to be a pretty good time. So, uh, well, anything anything is appreciated. We're always on the hunt to find stuff to go do around town, just because you know I'm I'm a little bit picky when it comes to restaurants, but I'm definitely not picky when it comes to bars. <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, let's get back on the leather track for a minute, and then we'll go back to your culinary experience. Sure. Um, <laughs> so you say you work, you currently work out of your garage, and this is your I do. first year in it, so you've done a spring and a summer. What, what did yes. you do to stay cool in it? Or did you I like... I was miserable. I have a single box fan and uh, I bought a couple of the thinnest material short sleeve pearl snaps to, known to man. And I worked in Hoochie Daddy shorts and just sweated. And it was a bad idea. I'm, I'm going to be investing in conditioned air for next summer. If this, oh man, if I'm still in this garage, but yeah, that was, that was a tough hang. <laughs> it was unpleasant. I, <laughs> I bet. Oh man, that many days over a hundred was was a tough was a tough one. But on the swing on the upswing, the glue dries fast, the dye dries fast. <laughs> you know, you're on to the next step pretty quickly if you're just boiling. Like it it only ever got over a hundred in the garage a couple of times, but it was a solid ninety to ninety nine sort of summer, which uh, oh. you know. It's not great, but and which way did the does your garage face? It faces actually. Let's see here. The way that my windows, I've only got two windows in the garage, and what I've learned um, from setting up at this point, I don't even know how many benches I've set up. Probably six or seven different <laughs> tooling bench setups. But I learned from this one that having you know, if you think it's nice to be able to look out the window, which is great, but the light is going to come in through that window and blast your your stone and look, potentially reflect into your eyes, it's the worst <laughs> setup you can do. So I had to block out one of the windows and leave the other one so I could get some natural light in. And then, um, yeah, any any light you can have coming in over your shoulder is primo. That's the mm -hmm. best way to set it up. But um, yeah, the garage, having it open a bit throws more light in from outside and you don't have to have it all the way up. But um, well, I, was just think, I was just thinking the sun blasting right on that big door, heating everything up like an oven. <laughs> well, we don't, it's kind of like it would, it just reflects a bit. It's not the worst ever, but it is certainly mm -hmm. like, um, it was hot enough that that fan you know, God bless it. It didn't, it really didn't do a lot for me except to keep me with my hair moving. That's about it. But, uh, I did make best friends with the, uh, mailman on our route, which is always nice to see him. So when the garage doors open, he will stop by and chat and we could always commiserate about how miserably hot we were. Well, that's nice. Made a friend. That's nice. He's a great guy. <laughs> Always interested in what's going on. In fact, you know, since I don't know anybody here and um, the garage door would be, you know, at least halfway open, you'd get door-to-door -door salespeople coming around the neighborhood trying to sell you whatever, bug spray or solar panels or who knows what all. 
And I tell you, they were, they were not stoked to come to my house because I just invite them in and just start chatting with them and just really <laughs> be like, so what are you, where are you from? Do you like work out of this? Is this based out? And just, I mean, they'd be here 20, 30 minutes and be like, I think I need to go to the next, to the next They didn't stop. even get a chance to sell you anything. No, no, no. One kid was really fun because he worked in um, embroidery. Like he was starting his own screen printing and embroidery company. And I mean, he's in his early 20s, probably. Mm-hmm. And I think he's from Houston. And he was just like, oh, my God, what are you doing here? Saw the two sewing machines I have and the bell skyver. And I was like, I do leather work. And just brought him right in under the garage door and just told him, talked to him about leather work for half an hour or so. But yeah, they, <laughs> they had other things to do. But <laughs> I kept them pretty busy. <laughs> Man, it, I, I don't know if I could do that i think i would have to be you know only work out in the garage at night kind of deal and sleep through the i was day. getting up pretty early i was getting up pretty like i was getting started around five and then i'd have to call it around three or so mm. and then wait until the sun went down to maybe finish up a couple of things like after dinner but yeah it was uh it was unfortunate but again not that big of a deal and you like you had alluded to before i did work in um in restaurants prior to doing leather work full time. And so a restaurant kitchen is about that all the time. Like you're just standing over a hot stove. Oh yeah. Pretty miserable. You're a little more active and you're kind of moving back and forth and sort of constantly doing stuff. So it keeps your mind off of it. But if you're doing something tedious and like watching your leather go out of case because it's so hot (laughs) and constantly having to re-wet it, then that can get a little bit old, but yeah, the temp the temp's not so bad. <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, I've got a new question that I'm gonna start asking everybody. So I'm gonna start with you. So, okay. what are the kinds of things that you listen to or watch while you're out there working? Do you listen to podcasts, oh. music, podcasts, a lot of podcasts, and books on tape? Also, um, I had never read Lonesome Dove, and I have since. Whenever I got it on Audible and, and downloaded it, and so I listened to that uh, more than once. I've been I've listened to Lonesome Dove twice at this point, <laughs> but yeah, podcasts are a big one. It depends, really. If you're wanting to listen to something that's kind of up, like on the business tip, and you want to try to you know start thinking about how to organize yourself a little bit better, putting yourself into a, a more of a business mindset, there's uh, How I Built This, which is NPR Guy Raz podcast about entrepreneurs, which I enjoy listening to. Uh, and then what kind of businessy podcasts do I listen to? There seems like there's so many hustle culture, weird podcasts talking about how you need to do X, Y, and Z. And it's kind of like, hmm, I don't know. <laughs> I'd rather just listen to other people's inspiring stories and go on from there. But um, that, and if I'm listening to if it's a, a big production day and it's not, you can't dink around and listen to anything like can't be distracted. Um, Doc Watson is what I'll put on nine times out of 10 and hmm. just listen to an entire day's worth of Doc Watson playing guitar and singing. One of my awesome. favorite artists, a lot of country music. <laughs> uh, uh, today in my shop was a, a music day. <laughs> oh, nice. Um, I'm just about caught up on all of my podcasts. So I, I was decided to switch over to music and just let it play loud in the shop. 
There's my thing. There's an intersection between podcasts and music, and it's um, uh, a show that is meant to be taken as a, it's a nonfiction sort of body of work called Cocaine and Rhinestones. I don't know if you've ever heard of it. But, I have not. Uh, so uh, David Allen Coe's son, Tyler Mahan Coe, yeah. has a, a two seasons of his podcast talking about 20th century country musicians and the stories behind like basically how they arrived throughout their career and various, you know, breakdowns of who was doing what with where. And it's, it's pretty good. The first episode or the first season's a little more scattershot where he's talking mm-hmm. about uh, anecdotes from Ernest Tubb and uh, stories about let's say, Buck Owens and the Leuven brothers. And then uh, the second season is almost entirely the story of George Jones and Tammy Winnett, which is, fascinating so i listened to that one i've listened to that one on repeat many times actually <laughs> i just followed it it's good it is awesome it's it's dense like that's one of the things i like about it is that it is worth a re-listen to sort of get and i also love george jones like i'm a big george jones right. fan so um but yeah i've actually made a belt for tyler nashville oh, was sh- an w- interesting sort of place to connect with Various, I don't know, just all kinds of people. That is awesome. Yeah, I mean, it's weird when it's just they don't have that many people. And Nashville's not, there's not that many people that do tool leather at a, at a you know, professional level, I guess. So mm-hmm. there are a couple of, of strap makers. There's a hell of a handy boot maker named Wes Shugart from Music City Leather. And then other guys that do uptown work. Lachlan Leatherworks, Unsung, they, they're boot makers, like engineer boots. But for the most part, tooled leatherwork, it all kind of used to kind of trickle down to me. Hmm. So I'd, I'd be making straps. I made straps for uh, the Ryman Auditorium to, to give to Brandy Carlisle. For, she'd sold out the Ryman for three straight nights in a row. So they got her a gift, and I had to throw together three guitar straps in a hurry. Wow. For her and her two, her like her lead guitarist and bassist are uh, twins. So I made hmm. three guitar straps for them and then just various things. The funny thing about guitar straps is it's never, you know, an artist that buys them. It's always a spouse or a record label <laughs> that gets it for them as a gift. <laughs> yeah, I, I have a, a friend who actually sings up at uh, Core 4 and she keeps telling me, man, I'm I keep telling my mom, I, I, I guess her mom wanted to buy her a guitar strap for her birthday oh, and yeah. have it custom made. And she keeps sending her mom to me, but her mom keeps forgetting to message me to build her the guitar strap. And it's like, <laughs> I think, I think her birthday was in April. Oh yeah. <laughs> well, it might be next year. It might be yeah. coming up. Yeah. 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 Who knows? <laughs> Okay, so I know absolutely nothing about the culinary wor- world, so oh, I'm yeah. going to let you have the reins and just blow our minds for a couple minutes. Well, okay, so the it, the other interesting thing about the career path that I've you know meandered down is if there were two roads that don't intersect really ever, it would be people who are who do leathercraft and people who cook professionally. Uh, so <laughs> you're not alone. Like anything that I, I really don't talk about 
what I, you know, my culinary career as often as I do my leather work, because most of the people I hang out with or deal with are in the leather world. And they're just kind of like, yeah, I don't, I don't know. And I don't really, not all that interested, which granted, I'm also at this point in my career, also disinterested <laughs> in the culinary world. <laughs> so I totally understand that. But uh, basically, long story short, I worked for 15 years as a, as a chef. And as a part of that, it took me all over the world. So um, I went to culinary school in Boulder, Colorado, after I had uh, lied on a resume and taken a job at a Buca de Beppo. It was the first restaurant I ever worked in. And <laughs> I didn't know anything. They, they really, they, yeah, I, I, I did well enough and I enjoyed who I was working with and what I was doing enough to be like, I should go to school for this. And so did a very short culinary program in Boulder that was six months long, uh, but full time. And the last month of it was an apprenticeship abroad where we went to France to go do uh, what's called a stage. So working for free in someone else's restaurant to kind of get the ropes and network and, and learn stuff. So I spent three weeks in Avignon and uh, I got back from that and went abroad again to go work at a restaurant called the Fat Duck. It was a very experimental kind of like super high-end restaurant. The place in Avignon was also another super high-end restaurant. <laughs> And instead, so I worked for free in England for three months and then came back to Colorado. And this is probably 2005 or six, I moved to New York City. And I worked out there in various restaurants, uh, the a place called WD50, uh, another restaurant called Blue Hill, which is kind of a farm to table place. And uh, all, in, all in all, I was in New York for almost nine years <laughs> and then, uh, moved from New York to Nashville to run a restaurant called Rolf and Daughters as the chef de cuisine. And, uh, and then I moved to Oklahoma. <laughs> so it's, it's like I said, a long and winding road, but yeah, that that's, uh, Oh, and in the meantime, there were some, you know, I, I was on an episode of, uh, of chopped while I was in New York. Uh, yeah, just, <laughs> A lot of a lot of really high end restaurants, and I think a lot of that uh, experience of being in a very results oriented, uh, accountable, and uh, repetitive motion. Like you do a lot of the same stuff over and over again, and you have to get mm -hmm. good at it. But it's a lot the same way. I mean, it's all lateral stuff for for leather work. I think I had a big uh, leg up when I got started in leather work because I already had experience with sharpening tools with doing something that takes a long time, but staying excited and, and kind of focused and refining what you're doing while you're doing it, like timing yourself and kind of get, just trying to get better all the time. That's really all at a level when you're in, in restaurants, uh, that's kind of like the name of the game. If you want to progress, you got to, you know, if you're green, you're growing. If you're, if you're ripe, you're rotten. So, hmm. That's kind of, I think, one of the reasons why I was able to get a good head start in, in leather work. So, but yeah, it was a, it was working at a, a pretty high, probably one of the highest levels of, of the restaurant world and working my way from the bottom to where I was, I'd opened a restaurant in Brooklyn before I left and was the chef cuisine there and 
yeah, managing people, doing all this sort of stuff. It's, it's very strange to go from working in a team to working by yourself. That's the one thing I would say I miss the most is that you just, you know, you're constantly problem solving and putting out fires and interacting with people, bouncing ideas around. Like, I love that, but no longer. Now I am just alone in a garage all the time. <laughs> it, yeah, that must have been a, a big change. Well, I guess you could, it was it would have been kind of gradual because you went into it with the other guys that you were originally talking about. Yeah, those guys, yeah. I was I was by myself for the first, ooh, I want to say two years, more or less. But I was working from home, so mm-hmm. I had it wasn't totally isolated. Same thing here, like, at this point now, I still have people around. That was the first time that I was back in a in kind of a team environment where, you know, you can at least say hi to somebody. Right. <laughs> but, um, yeah, it was it was odd. It was just a very strange thing to do because I had been in that sort of environment that's boiler, like, you know, pressure cooker for so long that mm-hmm. going to being by yourself was, it was really nice and relaxing at first. And then after a time, you're just kind of like, I am so bad at self generating motivation and like <laughs> energy like i feed off of other people's energy so much that you know when you're by yourself it's tough to to just cold start every morning to be like all right kill it let's go <laughs> so what do you do now to keep yourself motivated and uh keep your uh, artistic juices flowing oh well the artistic stuff i feel like it never goes away. The only thing that can happen with artistic, um, like a lack of inspiration is a lack of sort of doing things that you want to do that are for yourself. Like art, being, being able to do, being able to draw or being able to make anything that you're happy with as art is, is a hundred percent. Like you can learn how to do it. I think anybody who can write their name can, learn to draw something that they're happy with uh, because it's just your eyeballs interpreting information and then sending it to your hand to be able to replicate that on paper or on whatever. So I think that taking time to draw just for fun as opposed to for money, because I do both. <laughs> mm-hmm. And sometimes if you do too much drawing for money, you wind up where you're like, Ugh, cause in the custom world, you've kind of taken, you're taking hints from people. You're taking inspiration of what they want in to see in their items. So you wind up, uh, you wind up getting a little toasty every once in a while. Where you're like, it's you got to drag yourself to go do a project that you don't want to do because it's like nothing that <laughs> speaks to you in any way. But you have to find a way to make it your own and make it exciting. But yeah, so take time to do stuff for yourself. And then the mm. other thing is trying to take. Uh, the organization that I had in the restaurant business of writing a lot of lists and what it is you need to accomplish order lists, daily, uh, you know, things you want to accomplish lists, things you want to accomplish for the week, for the month, and just trying to stay on top of that so that you give yourself a little bit of a jump start. Mm-hmm. Um, and then, you know, taking time to, and to feed that, like I still feed off of other people during the day, I just don't do it in person anymore. Now I have a bunch of other leather workers in a community that are all online that, you know, occasionally you're just like, what's up? Like you just comment on somebody's stuff on, on how well it's done and you try and 
sparked a light conversation there. And, and it's just a good way to be like, okay, cool. And just feed yourself some energy that way too. <laughs> yeah. Our, our parents were wrong back in the day. It is okay to, uh, or it is good to talk to strangers on the internet sometimes. <laughs> yes. <laughs> if they're, if it's constructive. Yeah. There's a lot of people out there. I feel like that, that, uh, have the attitude that because someone is a stranger that they're not a real person. And so they right. say the wildest stuff you've ever seen in your whole life. <laughs> but I think if you, if uh, what I like to do is if I have the chance to, and I would suggest this to anybody, if you see somebody whose work you either you admire or you, you just want to ask them a question about something that they, they're doing, or even just pay them a compliment to approach them in a way that is kind of like you want them to know how much you, you think that whatever it is that you, you like they're, that they're doing, that you appreciate it and ask them thoughtful questions about it before you just jump straight into, so how'd you do it? Or like, so where'd you <laughs> buy that? How much did that cost? You know, anything like that, that you just want to try to at least engage with somebody as a person and as a craftsman and you have a lot more in common than which I imagine that you do. But if the first thing, you know, if I get a message from somebody that's just a dollar sign and a question mark after a post that I'd made or something, it's not, I'm not even going to entertain that. It's just like, it's rude. <laughs> <clears throat> so, all right. What is a lesson that you learned switching from, you know, being in the culinary world to quitting and doing leather work full-time what is a lesson that you learned in that process that you would give to somebody that might be doing that same thing now or soon uh well i would say that the best thing that the thing that i cherished the most from that transition period was planning to do that to kind of having a, a something like akin to a nest egg or just a little bit of runway to give me the opportunity to go take workshops and go spend time in places where it wasn't about I'm, I'm starving. I have to be able to make leather work to eat. You know, mm. if you have that opportunity to go, cause this is something I also learned from the restaurant industry is that, that apprenticeship I was talking about it, that stage that's fairly common. And I don't know how common it is, in other industries, I know in the tattoo industry, it's pretty common to do apprenticeships. It's kind of the only way you can get your foot in the door is to go work for free. Mm. But if I know in the old school leatherworking world, that was very, very common. That was how you learned how to do almost anything when it came to saddle work was you went to a shop and you said, okay, like I'll sweep the floors, I'll do whatever. Now you don't necessarily have to do that, but you may have to drive or fly or figure out a way to camp out to go to places like the uh the trade show up in Sheridan or out in Prescott or try and get some private time in with somebody who you know you want to learn from mm. and that was something that I did I pushed hard to be able to do that and I I was very lucky in in that it all fell kind of close to one another getting to go take a workshop from Troy and Pedro Pedrini here at the Cowboy Museum. I think not the, like a year to the day I was out in Elko, Nevada, where I drove from 
Asheville to go take another two-day uh, floral workshop from Carrie Schwartz at uh, the Cowboy Poetry Gathering. And then oh, who else have I? I've been up to Sheridan twice now and got to spend time in workshops with Gordon Andrus, who I can't recommend enough. Like mm. that guy is a monster. <laughs> and he has a book as well that you can get off his Facebook page. I plug it all the time. If anybody asks me who some of my influences are, I think Gordon Andrus and, uh, and his, what is his workbook? Let's see if I can find it on the shelf here. I think it's called Drawing Floral Patterns for Leather Tooling with the Campus Leaves and Scrolls. So a tight nice. title, but um, yeah, that's absolutely worth a, worth purchasing. But uh, regardless, yeah, just trying to take that time to go learn as much as you can without worrying about being totally destitute <laughs> because you're going to be broke either way. And you kind of learn by oh, yeah. kind of cutting your teeth and cutting your fingers and you just fumbling around, or you can kind of try to spend enough time with somebody else to be able to learn how to do it and pay them to be able to, to spend that time. So that was a big one. It's a good answer. <laughs> uh, was one, I will be honest that was it really did launch me I think every time I've taken a workshop it has really taken me to a level that I wouldn't have achieved or maybe it would have happened but in a much longer timeline so anytime mm. that there's an opportunity to kind of tuck into that and sometimes you know maybe it is an online course maybe it is I don't know you know I have always like you said benefited from having someone in person, you know, to ask questions and kind of be in a safe space where you don't look dumb, right? Like right. there's no reason to be nervous because you're not trying to be the best student. You're just trying to be, uh, you know, tr trying to mess up so that they can <laughs> catch you <laughs> while you're doing it and correct it before you do it to yourself. So, yeah. I, I plan on trying to, uh, get up to Sheridan next year early enough to at least take a cl one class. I, oh, yeah. I went in, I went in 22 and we didn't, we got there just in time to go to, to the King's salary party. Oh and yeah. It was on, Oh, there, there was just no classes going on that weekend that I wanted to go. Uh, to. I, thought yeah. I should, I should have all the best ones are like Monday through Wednesday. Yeah. I'm like, man, I got kids. <laughs> yeah. It's tough. That is like, it's tough to be able mm -hmm. to kind of, it's a long time. Like, I, I remember the first time I went was in 2018, actually. Yeah. And it was a week and a half or something that I spent up there. And I was just like, okay, like you don't know anybody. I was by myself. So you just kind of, again, trying to like generate that momentum to go around and, you know, buy tools that you're kind of not totally, I wasn't totally familiar with. I was just like, okay, well, I think I need this. I'm going to go ahead and, and get it. And then I've got, I've got some of those tools. Do you really? <laughs> yeah. Some of those, are like, I, I don't know if I'm going to use this, but it looks pretty cool. I'm going to get it. And then it's maybe hit once to show it an example and then put right back on the little rack. Right. Yeah. I, <laughs> I know which ones I use every time and I'm looking at mine and it's like, mm, a lot of these are not required by any stretch of the amount, not even like in an oddball situation. 
I was mm. on a tear for a minute where I was buying a lot of those vintage craft tools that are pre, I guess, what is it, 1960 or 1970? The ones that don't have a letter prior yeah. to the numbers that are solid steel and have mm. a little bit crisper impression. So I was on a run of trying to find those in wherever, saddle shops, at uh, ranch rodeos, if there's any a saddle maker, any place, I'd be like, you got any of these for sale? And so, because uh, I started modifying tools to try to just have some stuff to to fill it out. But then I wound up with more craft, like old craft tools than I have modified tools. Like, I, I don't, <laughs> I think I've got, to be fair, I do have, it are in the regular rotation, probably four modified stamps that I use on everything, every floral pattern. But I have probably 20 like old craft tools that I haven't ground down into anything else, but that's awesome. They are, they are handy to have around. If you've got a bench grinder and you've got, you know, a couple of different buffing wheels from Rio Grande, you can, you can make whatever you want, an old file and just mm. go to town. You can start making your own back bevelers. I've made a flower a center liner, a stop, a really small, smooth thumbprint. And what else? Uh, what else did I modify? Oh, I made a uh, a wedge, like checkered beveler, like the triangle-shaped yeah. ones. The hottest tip I can give anybody is if you buy triangle-shaped, you know, checkered deal to be able to kind of fit into those tight corners, shave it down by like a quarter on each side. Like make it crazy narrow uh, of a pie slice and you'll be able to fit it into all kinds of areas where you didn't have as crisp of a of like a space where two lines kind of like could butt into each other i'm looking at two of them and that's a pretty good idea yeah <laughs> and if you've got a little more you know money and space laying around and you can invest in a gun checkering file mm -hmm. there's a company a swiss company called Grobay that makes gun checkering files in a couple of different um like widths and a couple of different sizes. And if you want to make your own textured stamps, I think I buffed out a, like an hourglass. What are they, what are they called? They have like a proper name. Do you know what it is? It's like a chasing border stamp. Um, and it's an Arizona thing. I want to call it, but I have no idea what it's called. Anyways, it looks like an S shape, like old seventies looking like, Oh, yeah, it, it's uh, you're supposed to be able to make a uh, it. You're supposed to be able to make like a rope border with it. Fully, I've done a bunch of them. I really like it. Like, but the ones that I have, I smooth the face of, and then I put vertical lines into that hourglass with my gun checkering file. So it grabs a little bit more antique, and it has like kind of a cool texture in it. But I haven't seen one of those for sale, so I was like, all right, well, maybe we'll just make one or destroy it and then have to get another one <laughs> but i didn't break it so but the good news is if you do have a checkering file and you mess up you can just buff it all off and start again hmm. that's a really good idea okay owen i've <laughs> kept you for quite a long time i think oh my god what time I, is it? I, it's 902 <laughs> so i think eventually I don't know when, but we're going to have to get you back on on part two because I feel oh, like there's nice. still a bunch more that we could talk about. Um, 
but I know people's expe- uh, attention spans on podcasts, especially mine. Oh yeah, kind of start fading at the hour mark. It's <laughs> a fact. So I'd be happy to. Yeah, no, I can obviously. You, you, all you do, all you have to do, is put a quarter in me, and I'll go for forever. So, well, happy to I come back for a part two. <laughs> oh yeah, I, I think you're going to be a, a show favorite. Um, <laughs> so, uh, real quick before you plug all your stuff, I'm going to ask you the dad joke. Okay. Yeah, hit me. So, why do the numbers three and five make such a great team? Oh, it's hard to say. I don't know. Because together they thrive. Oh, my God. Oh, that stings, like, physically. (laughs) It's pretty good, though. I would have never in a million years. That's pretty solid. That's a pretty solid (laughs) Papa joke. (laughs) All right. So, where can people find you? Okay, well, I'm easiest to find on Instagram at Heronwalk Custom Leather. Uh, it's H-E-R-O-N-W-A-L-K, uh, Custom Leather. And that's mostly anything I build. If it's custom, it all boils down to a conversation with me. So reach out, send me a DM. And okay. if there's something on my page that you're, you like or style you like, then we can figure out how to make it for you. I say we and, as if there's more than me here, but it's, I can make it for you. And, and if you have a question on how he did something, don't just be like, how did you do this? Yeah. Weirdly, I it. probably will say something. I will probably immediately just be like, I did it like this, but I may, I may also lie to you. <laughs> but I, <laughs> more often than not, we'll be honest and I'll tell you how I did it. <laughs> Perfect. All right. Owen, thank you so much for coming on. It, this was an awesome episode. Really enjoyed it. We're going to have you back. Um, My pleasure. And then maybe we should go hang out with some beers. That also sounds like a cool idea. Yeah, like in person. I'm fine with that. <laughs> like uh, people, the listeners probably won't care. So being in the culinary um, world, kind of, um, have you gone to a lot of our uh, – specialty grocery stores here in the city so many yeah all of them or almost all of them <laughs> have you seen anybody that has emu or ostrich meat Ooh, i haven't uh i've seen grass-fed rabbit which is crazy overpriced and no but i haven't seen ostrich or emu black chickens for sure but neither of okay. those have come across Are there well, farmers out here raising ostrich and emu I haven't found anybody. anybody. Well, see, the, the reason I ask is because I have alpha-gal syndrome. Uh-huh. I've had it for about a year, and it's the tick disease that the tick bites you, and then, oh, surprise, a, you're allergic to red star? meat. Is that a yeah. lone star tick? That, oh, man. Oh. Yeah, so I'm so I... I'm sorry. <laughs> yeah, it sucks. It sucks pretty bad. Um, and oh. But I've, I've heard talk about emu and ostrich tasting a lot like steak. Yeah, and like well, I'm Sandhill like, Crane too. I've heard is also yeah, but they're hard to hunt. They are. There was and, a bunch of them but, in Tennessee. They, yeah. they call them the ribeye of the sky. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Uh, like I, I'm this close to just like taking my EpiPen and some liquid Benadryl to a steakhouse and just going to town oh. on a steak. But, so but is it I'm all not... beef or what? What all is it that that you're allergic to? 
the only things I can eat, uh, luckily I can still have dairy. I can have cheese, uh-huh. which is good. But the only things I can technically eat are uh, they have fins, feathers, humans, or old world apes. Those are the only, <laughs> only meat, okay. meat sources I can eat from. I see. Okay. Yeah. So. No new world apes. That's off the table. No. Yeah. <laughs> Fair enough. <laughs> all right i'm gonna let you go owen it was awesome see y'all next week everybody thanks bye. Dustin. bye no problem <laughs>